It's the camera angle. All right, welcome in for Wednesday night Bible class. We are in the middle of James chapter 4. If you remember last week, we had a really good discussion on the first part of James 4. What we're going to do, because um, I don't like to go forward without at least reviewing a little bit when we cut off in the middle. So we're going to kind of go really quickly through the first part of James chapter 4 again, and then we're going to get into the end of it. And if for some miraculous reason we still need more, I have James 5 on the background because we really only have a little bit left in James 4, but we just couldn't get through it all. All right, so let's go ahead and um, pray and then we'll get started. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We're grateful for this time where we can be together. God, we're grateful for our church family, for the relationship that they have with you and the relationship that we have with each other. Father, it's so important to, uh, we live in a world that's surrounded by influence. We're surrounded by influence that's not necessarily of you a lot of time in our life. So God, it's wonderful to get together with like-minded, God-fearing, God-loving people and just study your word and learn from each other. I just pray that tonight as we do that, that we are guided by you in our conversation, that we're um, trying to engage our heart and mind, um, not just in the conversation, but with the mind of, in the heart of Christ. We thank you so much for Jesus and the love that he shared with all of us by taking our place on the cross and the hope that comes from that of eternal life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we started, we got all the way to the end of verse 10, but just real quick, I know some of you weren't here last week that might want to have a comment before we move on. And just to kind of remind us where we're at in James, um, I figured I would just kind of read it all again one more time. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it in your passion. So we were talking about an internal conflict and we were talking about um, a mindset. And we're going to get into that a little bit more tonight. You adulterous people, verse 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is, not, it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace, therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember also we were talking about... Um, the red was, we were talking about the idea of the cause and the effect, right? The cause and the effect. What causes quarrels, what causes fight, and then the, uh, the effects are quarrels and fights, and the cause is your passion that is at war within you and your own personal desires. So remember that as we're reading through this um, as well. And then verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, that's where we ended 
last week, and I wasn't sure really if everybody got to say everything they wanted to say over those verses or not, because we just kind of ran out of time and had to end. Um, so if there's anything anybody wants to add to this, again, we were talking about from this perspective, um, the idea of posture. There's a posture to this internal war that's going on between us with our flesh and our worldliness and our righteousness and our godliness, our, our, our spiritual versus our physical. There's this internal war that's happening and there's a posture. He's not really telling you that you should have this um, horrible view and horrible outset on life to always be uh, mournful and weeping and wretched. I don't think that's any idea of what God imagines or wants a Christian to be. But there is a mindset, and we're going to get a little bit deeper into that with these next few scriptures. Um, there is a posture that we should all as Christians have when approaching God, when dealing with God in our life. So, is there anything anybody wants to add to this part of the discussion before we move on? Just wanted to give everybody a chance to have a last word from last week. All right, that's what I expected. Okay, so we're going to move in because, but I, I, before we move in, the one thing I do want to point out from uh, this specific scripture is this idea that if we submit ourselves to God, Again, being the posture that we should have. And then if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. If we abstain from the flesh and if we abstain from the worldliness and if we resist the temptation of the devil, he's going to flee. That doesn't mean he won't come back. That doesn't mean temptation is not going to come back. But there are victories to be won, personal victories to be won um, in your life in this internal battle. And it comes with a humbleness and a posture that we have to keep at all times. All right. So it goes from this internal more to an external and kind of where it leads to in the second half of James chapter 4, it says, verse 11, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and the judges and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So he starts out with the cause and then ends with the effect, right? Do not speak evil against one another because the effect is when you speak evil against one another, you're actually speaking evil against the law and, the, and, and judging the law. Go ahead, Mike. Really good. So he, he's, it's not the individual doing this, but a group of three or four that go away from the main group and start talking or gossiping about them. Uh, I get, Chuck, can I use you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we get Susan and Susan and, uh, 
and we get a in the corner and we talk about all of what Chuck does wrong and all of the <laughs> bad stuff that Chuck has ever done. And it's a long discussion. Endless. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's almost like gossiping. And what it does, it breaks the church up into little groups. Mm -hmm. Much like it happened in 1 Corinthians 1. You okay. get these little factions all over. Yeah, I definitely think um, gossip is certainly one of the things that he's talking about here. I, I think that one of the dangers, again, that we always discuss when we come to this passage is the judgment. There's a judgment even that comes with gossip, right? So there's this bigger underlying thing as well. Not just to the gossip, but the gossip leads to factions because there's a judgment that's being pronounced on, on people. Go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, I've looked at this. There, well, we all have sometimes maybe a uh, predilection to do it, but if somebody doesn't have a good self-esteem or doesn't feel good about themselves, the best way to feel better for some of those folks is to put somebody else down. Oh, yeah. Say, I'm going to exalt myself at your expense. Yeah. And it kind of goes along with that previous verse we're talking right. about being humble versus arrogant. Is humble yourself. Not You're not trying to exalt yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to humble yourself, you're not going to be speaking badly about your brothers and sisters. But if you're trying to exalt yourself, anybody else who could risk you being exalted, you try and crush them. Yeah, and that, I love what you said right there. It, it, it's very relevant to the scripture, and it also piles on to the very beginning. And it gets down to your own personal desires and the passions that wage war within you. It's, it's just like Chuck is talking about. There, when you have um, low self-esteem from a, from a spiritual perspective, maybe you're not living the way you know you should. Maybe um, you're, that inner turmoil that's going on you, the Holy Spirit is convicting you. It's calling you out. And sometimes we look for relief by pointing out what others are doing. And that causes quarrels. It causes fights. Sometimes it's uh, the pride of life and not being able to see your own struggle, right? Your own sin, your own um, um, weaknesses is another thing he talks about there. But it comes from a lot of different places. This isn't something that just miraculously shows up. And I think there's something, I'm, I'm coming right to you in just a second, Peter. I think there's something really important to say with this. Which is when we put God before ourselves, right? That's the first part of the greatest command. We put God before ourselves. The second part is to put others before ourselves as well. And you might not be best friends with every single person, but you certainly can love and get along with every single person in the church. Despite where they're at even in their own life. And I think sometimes we get to a place where we have this expectation, like there's this line that has to be crossed before maybe you're on the good side versus the bad side. But when you have a certain posture about you, when you realize, when you have accepted the grace of God, it's why, it's why the scriptures say for those who are, are forgiven much, they can for, it's easier for them to forgive. Once you've accepted that grace of God in your own life, you can extend it to anybody. But that passion, that pride, these things that wage war within you is actually what stops you, your own desire. 
You can forgive anybody, but when they do something against you, it makes it much harder. It's easier to forgive somebody for doing something to somebody else than it is for you. That, if you're not like that, you're a very special person. It's easier to forgive somebody or to um, um, not hold it against them as harshly, let's say it that way too, when somebody's done something to somebody else than when they've done it to you personally. And I, again, I think that speaks to the internal war that, that we go through. It doesn't hurt you as bad personally if somebody's talking about somebody else as it does when they're talking about you. At the end of the day, there's only one judge. We're not called to be judges. We're called to be ministers, family, part of the same body, connected by the bond of Christ, truly in love with one another. Peter, I'm sorry. I meant to go back to you. Well, you weren't finished. That's why you have to be sorry. Well, I've been that person with lowest self-esteem, doing all the bad things for months. And I was carrying eight resentments. And um, resent the definition of resentment is one word in the Webster Dictionary, um, annoyance. And um, so anyway, um, and you, you and I lived everything you just said because I was praying for, to God all the time, and He did everything you said, and um, the end, no more of that garbage. Yeah, I relate with you because there has been times in my life where bitterness has creeped in, and it's something I've been talking about a lot lately because I think it's something, it's a natural struggle we all deal with in life where things just aren't going the way we want them to, and it creates a bitterness in us, and that just feeds into a negative attitude towards people, towards life in general, and I think that's why it talks about um, the scripture says, you know, bitterness can affect and lead many to sin because it feeds. Go ahead, Peter. A couple of weeks ago, um, you um, said bitterness and you explained that it gives negativity to people, you know, and I knew that. And um, tonight, I know I had it too. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Peter. All right, Carl, yeah. Thing, you know that I notice is you know it talks about not judging you know yeah. because otherwise we judge the law yeah and I me personally you know my family I've judged them when I got in seemingly the same situations they were but I didn't do the things they did but you know it just goes back to they blazed a trail for me I got to look at their mistakes and learn from them but they didn't have that they had to look the, from the people behind them and, and they didn't have what I had. So obviously I would have went further. And if I didn't, I, you know, that's even worse. But, you know, it's just one of those things, not judging my parents and stuff for things that I didn't do that they did, you know. Yeah, I, you know, I'll probably sit right there because some of the difference that we do um, deal with as we grow up together as, as a body at the church is 
is generational. You know, some of us come from very strong Christian families. Well, that helps you. That gives you a springboard that others didn't have. Some of us came to God late. You're not going to be as mature in the word as people who have come to God early and have been studying the word of God their whole life. So there are these differences um, that come together. You know, another thing to say that's really important in this, and I, I, I question whether to say it or not because I speak about this a lot. But it's just evident through the Bible all the time. There's so many scriptures that talk about this. And, and Christ did not come. Let me say this as clear as I possibly can. Christ did not come so that I could just break any law, do any sin, live however I wanted to. That's not why Christ came. But Christ did come to fulfill the law and take the curse of the law, because none of us could live under it, away from humans, away from mankind, away from his creation, out of his love through Christ and the sacrifice that he makes, he takes the curse of the law away. That's extremely important because I think this is the, this is, this is the most necessary scripture to explain the Pharisees, to explain all the leaders during the time of Jesus. They had a law. And he breaks it down in multiple different ways. So I'm not going to go through them all. I don't have time for it. But they had a law. And they were more concerned about making sure that they didn't transgress the law more than anybody else. So they held to the law. But they had no relationship with God. In other words, their defense was going to be when they stood before the judge, well, I know I broke less laws than everybody else because I read it and I made sure I lived by it. And guess what? We even took and made rules to make the boundaries bigger so we didn't even approach breaking the law. And when Jesus comes, he says, you're clean on the outside, you're dirty in the middle. So there's this it's, it, it's, a, it's an important part because we're trying to be righteous. We're trying to be like Christ. And we, are tr we should be spurning each other on to do that. We should be pushing each other to be more like Christ. But when we're doing that, there can also be a judgmental side that starts to develop. And I, that can eat at your relationships with people in the church. That can eat at your ability to minister to people who are struggling. And that can become a huge problem. And in fact, if I'm being honest, I think it already is a big problem that a lot of churches already have to deal with. When I say legalism, when you've, if you've ever heard me say legalism, this is exactly what legalism is. I know the law so well, I become a judge of it. And I start deeming people guilty and not guilty. So there's a very fine line between, and, and I, I hope I said that very clearly, because there's a very fine line between walking with each other and spurning each other on and becoming a judge. Because there's only one judge. Unless you can fulfill the whole law, you can't judge the law. Not only that, but when you try to fulfill the law so you can be judge of the law, you're also taking the power of Christ away. That's scripture as well. Because Christ came because he knew you couldn't fulfill the law. That's why he came. 
Anybody else want to add to that? That was a lot for two scriptures. It's good stuff. And it's really important to recognize that, you know, the, the most amazing thing about the gospel is that God can bring together a bunch of people in all of their differences. And that's, again, like Carl said, that even differences of generations. Some of you have been in the church and your family's been in the church and you guys can count back generation after generation after generation. And some of us came from grandparents or great-grandparents that didn't go to church or even parents that didn't go to church and don't believe in God. And God can bring us all together and give us everything we need, even in a small part of the body like this part of the body. But we have to have real love for one another. We have to um, be willing to go through it with one another. And we have to let God be the judge. Now, again, that's not throwing out the scripture and acting like it doesn't mean anything. Anybody else real quick before we move on? We got another big chunk of scripture here that's loaded. All right, good. So then he says this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Now, one of the things I want to tell you is I think there's a lot going on here. So let's kind of unpack it piece by piece, if that's okay. The first thing that he kind of brings into um, our lap is this idea of planning. Is planning bad? Anybody in here a planner? Somebody in every relationship usually, right? There's one that's in every relationship, and usually there's another one that comes in a little bit more chaotic because opposite attracts, and then we kind of teach the planners how to relax a little bit, and, and the planners kind of teach us how to be more organized and actually plan a little bit. Now, I'm speaking of me and my own wife and our own marriage, but I bet some of you can feel that, <laughs> that in yourselves and your marriages as well. Say that again. Work. Okay. And she'll plan it out and it'll be a good plan and I'll do what I can to fulfill it with her, but she's got the talent there. Okay. Yeah, well... One year. So when did you get... 1971. How old were you? 19. I...
I, I'm not trying to speak in um, um, always or never format. Go ahead, Peter. Um, my sin is I've never found a significant other in my life. Lord, forgive me. In First Corinthians, Paul did not say that was a sin. Um, okay, okay, okay. I understand where you're coming from there. So he's obviously not against planning. What's he against? Mike. Yeah. We're going out to make more money. Who will go back and and say that God's blessing them, but he's not blessing those poor people. Yeah, we're going to get into these guys a little more in chapter 5. Go ahead, Chuck. It's, it's where your heart is. Their whole heart is, I live to make money. However I can. That's Because that, this passage and the next passage go together. We kind of had them split up in, this, in the Bible here with, with headings, but they go together. They do. Okay, this is people who think about making money whatever way they can, whether it's ethical, whether it's unethical, it really yeah. doesn't matter. That's their prime mission in life. And I think that's where James is, is to say, your prime mission in life is not to make things for you. Your prime mission in life is to serve God. That's right. And the two are just totally opposite from each other. Yeah. So he definitely, um, he definitely comes back to that in the green with what you're talking about, Chuck, where he gets to that point. See, the, in the first plan, God's not part of the plan. This is their plan. And you're right. In chapter 5, at the beginning, he starts talking about some unethical practices that they are specifically doing. So I actually think in this part, more so than other parts, um, he's speaking very specific to specific people he knows are going to read this. But it still applies um, to all of us in this idea that in everything that we do in life, God needs to be included in that. You know, a lot of people chase certain things and when they don't achieve them, I, I've gotten phone call after phone call from young people, especially who have a they've, they've set out, they've set a goal, they've chased certain things and they don't achieve them. And then they say, how can God let this happen? And usually the first question I ask is, how much was God a part of the plan? Because a lot of times, you know, I, I really believe, and I'm, I'm going to preach about this um, in, a, in a way on Sunday, but I really believe that God already has given you everything that you're to do. He's given, he's given you all the talents and abilities to do what he's called you to do. He's, he's going to give you the opportunities to do what he's called you to do. God has set it out before you. And we just walk into the works that God has created ahead for us. Now, again, that's not saying that we're just a part of a big computer program that's been designed by God and everything's based on an algorithm. You still have choice. But God, in his wisdom, in, his, um, in, in, in all the power that he possesses, um, he can still lead you to those places that he's prepared before you in all of your choices. So I, I think including God in that, when he says, ask, seek, knock, and then he says, you ask, but you do not get, right? We already read that earlier in this chapter. You don't get because you ask with the wrong motive. 
So when you come to that place where the door slams in front of your face, sometimes you have to ask, what was my real motive? What, were I, what was I really seeking? And not only that, but in the process of getting from A to B, was God involved in that? Was I seeking God in that? I think that's a really important thing. Go ahead, Brent. Think about what Moses said when he hit the rock. He said, okay. do I have to do this to... To, to, to make you people calm down or what, whatever the exact quote was. But God said, no, you didn't do it. I did it. That's right. And, and it's sort of the same thing. When, when, we, when we say we're going to go somewhere and we're going to make money and we're going to, uh, no, God's going to do it. We're, we're not going to get the problem. You know, we're not going to get the, the credit. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is that conversation that he's been having all through James 4 about posture about being humble, about submitting yourself to God. That's the idea of incorporating God into your plan, trying to live in God's will, seeking out what his will for you is, understanding that the works are created before you. All you have to do is walk into them and you will walk into them and the door will be open. All of that comes together when you're seeking God's will in your life, when you're truly seeking God's will. Go ahead, Chad. It's pretty simple. Sometimes you just don't get what you deserve or you think you deserve. You just don't get it. Yeah. You're just not going to have it. That's true. And it's just the way it is. Uh, God's plan or not God's plan, sometimes you just don't get what you want. That's life. Yeah. Life lesson from Chad. Way to bring us all down, Chad. You, we all think we deserve something. Well, do you really deserve it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that's um, that was the point I was trying to make on Sunday night with Job. Um, which he talks about in James 5, so I'll leave it for there. But he's building to that exact point because he talks about God's mercy and compassion with Job in James chapter 5. And in that mercy, and you don't usually think of God's mercy and compassion when you associate that to Job. Job went through some pretty tough stuff but because we think we deserve something. That's a really good way to put it, Shad. You know, you've said that a few times since I started teaching in here. We're not true. We are not. And we well, should not. And we should not be. Well, maybe the I'm, end. Okay. There you go. There you go. There you go. So again, it comes back to this posture, right? That God is in control and that we are to try to live in the will of God. Look what he says. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But there's another part that he's talking about. And I think, um, again, he's building. He's getting ready to build big time into chapter 5. That's why chapter four is so heavy because he's already talking about in chapter five, he's going to talk about the second coming, but he's already talking about this briefness of life. There is, you should not have this expectation that you're going to live this long, exhaustive life. And, and everyone in here knows um, somebody who, who did not. And so don't boast in your arrogance as if something could not happen tomorrow because tomorrow might be what it is. Um, so <clears throat> then verse 17, and I, I, 17 is a really tough one for me because it's already hard enough to, um, to live as righteous as I can. Not, not because my righteousness is going to save me, but because I want to honor God with the sacrifice he made for me. But 17 talks about a different 
type of sin. It's a sin that the Bible doesn't speak really a lot about. But he says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. What does that mean? <laughs> exactly what it says. <laughs> Go ahead, Paul. Really talking about how people feel about themselves. It's not saying that what they're doing is sinful, but that they have convinced themselves <laughs> that they're in some kind of sin because, well, I know I should have done that, but I didn't. So now I'm in trouble. Okay. So it's a self thing. Okay. It's an interesting way to put it. Anybody else want to take a stab at that? Chuck? You know, what Paul said, that Paul, not the apostle. <laughs> Good station. Yeah. They're close. Um, but <laughs> sin here is to miss the mark. Okay. So if, if you look at it in that context also, whoever does, knows the right thing to do, okay, that's, that's your mark. Mm -hmm. It fails to do it. It's sin. They missed the mark. They missed an opportunity to serve God. And so for them, when you, we look at sin from a perspective of what you don't do that you should have done or you do something that you shouldn't have done. Yeah. And that's kind of the context here. Yeah. But what, it's, what it is is you failed to do something that you could have done and, and, that's, and that's weighing on your heart. Yeah. Weighing on your conscience. Yeah, so go ahead, Shadow. I'll let you jump in first. <laughs> Man, that, that's... I mean, I went to Panda Express. I know I should have gotten one entree. I got two. I knew I should have gotten one. You know what I mean? You, you, you struggle with that. Every decision you make is that is that right there. I mean, basically, day, day, daily, probably a thousand times a day. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a broad spectrum. Yeah, so... I, there is a, there's, I like what, I like how you just define that, um, Chuck, where there is, there's two ways to cut this bread, okay? The first way is you sin by missing the mark. You make a bad choice. You don't live out the life that you should live in that moment. You sin by missing the mark. It's, you're choosing to sin. And then there's the sin that is where, again, let me, let, me, let me be careful how I say this, but there is the other side of that bread where there was this opportunity to do something and you didn't. And I, I think we do have to be careful, like Paul said, where we don't look at every opportunity that comes and passes and, and, and look at it as a sin. But there is also time to do good. There is time to do good and do the works of the Lord. And if you're always saying, ah, tomorrow, or ah, maybe the next time this happens in my life, or you'll never end up doing it. And you're going to miss the mark that way too. You'll have a chance to be like Christ for somebody and you'll miss that opportunity. Go ahead, Susan. Yeah. Uh, he's pointing out a sin of fellow Christians in case they didn't realize what they were doing and their attitude yeah. He's showing them, okay, so now you know the right thing to do, and if you don't do it, it's sin. Yeah. We all sin, we can all be forgiven, but I'm telling you, what you're doing is sin. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And I, I, I do think, again, this goes back, that, that a lot of this is about posture. 
It's a lot of it is about posture. Sue, were you going to say something? No, I'm just thinking. Oh, okay. I thought <laughs> Raise your hand there. The pain of thinking. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mike? got to be careful we don't take it out of the context he's talking about, the people who are making money for themselves and leaving everybody else out. Yeah, yeah there, there is no doubt. In the middle of that context, context there's no doubt. Lois? This is kind of like the difference between the sin of omission and the sin of commission. Yeah. When you've done something that you know is wrong, that's commission, and you've done it, even though this, this Bible says this is wrong, you, you know, you've made that choice. But when you've just avoided something, or avoided doing something that you knew was a good thing to do, mm -hmm. that's Omission, and uh, it's just a different way of doing sin. Okay. One thing that I've dealt with with this scripture is conscience base as well. So some, I don't, I don't know exactly how to view it, but sometimes we can have a conscience issue about something that may not be sin. But if we feel it's sin and then don't do it when we think we should, it's kind of the same kind of, it's kind of a sin as well. Jesus may be like, it doesn't really matter to me, but in our hearts, we've sinned. Yeah, I like what you said there. And I think it all kind of comes together. But, you know, I want to go back to sin is not always just black and white. And that there are things that are, that are um, like meat sacrificed to idols, right? There are those small areas of life that God has not purely defined that for some of us might be sin, for others might not. And if you go back to the context of this, we can start with the idea of being rich. It's not wrong to be rich. It's how you deal with being rich. More money creates more temptation and opportunities to um, fall in love with yourself. All kinds of stuff comes from money and power. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have power. But what does it do to you? And from that perspective, knowing, knowing to do the right thing and not do it. Yeah, it's not necessarily the black and white as well. It's also that gray area. It's, you know... I, if I don't have time to do something, but I know somebody needs help and I don't have anybody I can call to help them, I don't think I should sit there and beat myself up over that all day long. But if I have time to help and I just don't want to help, and I even had somebody I could call to go and help that would be glad to go help, I just didn't even want to do that. I might have to wrestle with that a little bit because that might speak to a different attitude that I'm having, not just towards the Lord, but even to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Chad, you want to say something? You know how powerful that is, um, you know, for people to step on other people to make money. But, you know, also on the other side, you know, think about how powerful that is when somebody doesn't take that opportunity to make money from somebody. So, you know, which has happened very rare in my life that I've ever heard a car salesman go, 
you can't afford that car, I'm not going to sell it to you. <laughs> I, need, I can make the money, but I, that's not the right thing for me to do. I mean, so when, when you see that, I mean, that's powerful. You're like, man, this guy really cares about me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. That works too when they're trying to sell the car to the preacher. A <laughs> <laughs> long time ago, you go in there and you tell them what your monthly payment is going to be. And you never negotiate that number. And then if they waste your time, let them know you waste, they waste your time. They'll call you in a couple of days. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, if you're buying a new vehicle, um, all you have to do is um, special order it. Um, it costs less than um, sticker price on the lot, and it's the best way to do it. And all they have to do is give the information. Well, never had got the luxury of special ordering a car, but if I get to that place in my life soon, I'll remember that. All right, we're going to go ahead and um, jump to chapter five. We have a, I just want to at least bring in the part that's in context with the conversation we're having, and then we'll probably, we'll probably be done. But they got to switch that because, um, honestly, I just never know how long we're going to discuss even five or six verses, which is a great thing. I'm not complaining. Go ahead, Shad. It's very rare, yeah. especially when it comes to money. Yeah. You know? Yeah, money is a... Uh... Money can be a big divider if you let it be, for sure. Okay. So moving on into this. <clears throat> Again, keep it in context with what we've been talking about, this posture and, and, and everything as we move into this. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. For the miseries that are coming upon you, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. I want to read all this real quick because I, don't, I can't just stop right there. Um, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your field seeds. Talking about somebody specific, at least in my opinion on this, which you kept back by fraud. You didn't pay them for what they were due, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. It reminds me of Cain and Abel. <clears throat> and um, even what we just went through with Hebrews 12 of the better blood. Um, verse 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, and you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So this is pretty heavy. And this is very condemning, um, has a very condemning tone towards these specific people. Again, going back to the conversation, it's not the what being the rich. It's the posture that they should have had in that situation and that they did not show. So um, anybody want to open this up? Bring it. Go ahead, Mike. He's talking about things that rot, the garments uh, that are moth-eating, the gold and silver that have corroded. What they were living for fell apart. Yeah. These are things that were valuable. And they're like wheat or anything that you leave out too long, it's going to rot. Mm -hmm. Kind of reminds me of the expression... 
love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah. You have someone here who looks for every opportunity to make money. And it doesn't matter who or where they make it or how they make it. They want to make money. That's They can never be satiated with what they've got. They're always looking for more. The, con the contrast could be as simple as somebody who checks out a checkout thing and the person gives you back 10 bucks more than they should have. Now, the greedy person is going to say, what a bonus for me. But the person who's looking to really do the right thing is going to say, you gave me 10 bucks too much. Mm -hmm. I had that happen. And I get a shocked look from the cashier, usually, when I give back and says, you gave me too much money. But it, it is a difference in its greed. Mm -hmm. Everything I can do to get stuff for me, and it's all about me. Mm -hmm. That's what he's talking about is the rich got rich because it was all about them. Yeah. They're very good at being greedy. Well, when you get things it can inflate your ego fast. And, and you, you see that all the time. And, and <clears throat> I agree. It's, it's just a simple, it's really a simple posture that they forgot to apply to their life, which is to humble themselves before God and submit to him and resist the devil. And when you're cheating people, as simple as these, th this text explains, when you're cheating people to this level, I, how do you sleep at night? And I say that because I can tell you when I've wronged a brother or sister in Christ in my own life, this, um, and I've even talked about uh, this from the pulpit before, and maybe people didn't um, understand what I was talking about when I did, but when you have, when I have, I don't know about you, but when I have issue with a brother or sister in Christ, and that doesn't necessarily even mean here, but it can mean here as well. But when I have an issue, it keeps me up at night. That bothers me. And if I know I'm in the wrong in that issue, not only does it bother me, but maybe you've never had this experience, but I think it, my blood gets pumping so hard that I feel warm, that my skin begins to feel warm. And I don't, I don't necessarily even think that this is a physical phenomenon, but this spiritual principle means something very serious to me because I've had that experience in my life where I knew I was wrong, I was convicted in my sin, and my skin burned, and I had trouble sleeping over it until I made it right. Um, and this is that type of thing where you have literally taken, you have taken advantage of people. More so, you bring it back to the context. Well, I can't do that because we're, we're in a different PowerPoint. But if you bring it back, you know, maybe even your brother or sister in Christ. Go ahead, Chad. So lightheartedly, we don't think about it much during the day. That cashier that Chuck gave the $10 back to probably said, man, what a nice guy. He gave it back to me. I would have kept it myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't believe he gave it. You know I mean? It just... It's just so random anymore that, that we don't look out for one another. Yeah, I'll tell you. Um... Just my own personal experience from the other side of that coin. Make sure you do the math in your head because <laughs> I get a lot of wrong change back all the time. I wonder how many people struggle just with that. And if I just take 10 cents from everybody that comes in, 
How much does that equal at the end of the day? Um, nine times out of ten, I just let it slide, but it happens. Since drawer comes up ten dollars short, comes yeah. out of their check. That's right. Lose their job. Maybe it's the third time they've done it that week, and they they lose their job over because you weren't honest. That's true. It does make a difference. It does absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead, Sam. Could you imagine a world where we take care of each other and we do that every opportunity we get? Could you imagine if we fulfilled not even the first? But you really can't fulfill the second part of the greatest command without the first because you can't truly love somebody until you've experienced the love of God in your own life. You can't really um, even understand the depth of what love really is. But if we actually loved each other to the point where we took care of each other, this world would be vastly, none of us can even imagine the difference of the world we'd live in. Not just take care of each other. How about actually work together? Not just work together with people who are willing to follow you, but willing to follow others as well and work together. It'd be, it would be a crazy world. It would be a crazy world. All right. Well, I'm not going to go any further, and we'll finish the rest of chapter 5. We'll, um, we'll uh, finish that. I just didn't want to, I felt like, you know, you kind of have to include this part into the last discussion just to see, um, how it was specifically talking about some, some people as well as Mike was talking about from F.F. Bruce. Um, so with that being said, if there's nothing else for tonight, we'll pick up our conversation in James chapter 5 next week. Thank you so much for coming and all the good conversation that we had tonight. Appreciate it.